Christians, we're so glad you tuned into the show today, and we'll be here for the next hour with a live call-in show. Hope you can be with us during all or part of that time. Get a piece of paper and a pencil ready. In just a moment, I'm going to give you the contact information, the phone numbers to reach the show, so we can have a conversation about whatever is on your mind. The number here to reach us here at WPSL is the regular call-in number, 772 772- Three four zero one five nine zero seven seven two three four zero one five nine zero, and then there are two text numbers. One for me. I'm Mike Schmidt. That's seven seven two two six zero six one two zero two six zero six one two zero. And then Gary Jones, the co-host. You can reach him uh, by message during the week or during the show. Seven seven two two six zero six two two zero. Like I said, We Are Just Christians is a live call-in show. My name is Mike Schmidt. I'm the preacher of the elders for the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. And as usual with me today is Gary Jones. How are you doing, Gary? I'm here this morning, Mike. Doing good. Maybe I'm with him. He's with me. I'm not sure how that goes. But in any event, uh, we do the show together. We're glad that we can be with you today. In case you're a new listener, just to let you know, We Are Just Christians is a live call-in show. And it's about whatever is on your mind, uh, that it's of a spiritual nature. We don't, we don't mind if you're a, not a believer in Christ or, or Jesus. We don't mind if you're a believer in the Bible or you don't have to be a church-going person to participate in this show. In fact, we didn't really enjoy talking with you about those kinds of things. If you've had some bad experience in your life or something that caused you to doubt God or God's existence or some bad experience with Christians, We'd like to talk to you about that, and we're not going to argue with you or shame you in any way, I promise you that. We're going to have a discussion about whatever you have to say, and we'll give you the last word. So we like to discuss things. We like the people that, if they want to disagree, that's great, but we're not here to bait you or to humiliate anyone. I hope you understand that and appreciate that, but that's the way we are. And and our callers, we sometimes disagree with our callers. Uh, Sometimes we agree. And we always try to learn something from them. But you can reach the show, 772-340-1590. The show is about being just a Christian. So we're going to point you as much as possible every turn back to the Bible, the Scriptures, the New Testament in particular, as a guide to faith and practice, both individually and for the church itself. So we're trying to teach a way of thinking, a way of looking at life through the lens of the Scriptures and how to live in this modern world in the 21st century according to the principles of the 1st century. That's why the show's called We Are Just Christians. Well, actually, Mike, because of the principles of the Bible itself as it exists in our hands today. Yes. That's exactly what we're here for. In John 12, 48, Jesus says, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. And that's recorded in the scriptures for us. Exactly. Exactly. So that's what we need to know about. <clears throat> that's exactly right. And that's the passage that we use a lot of the time to uh, to get people's mind on the right, in the right direction. That's why we're, where we're coming from and that's why we're doing that. You know, Gary, 
Can you give the numbers one more time? 772-340-1590 if you'd like to talk to us today. We'd love to hear from you. But we had a caller last week. I, I think his name was Jerry. And after we got off the air, you said to me, I don't know if you understood his question properly, because Jerry was asking about, uh, talking about some of the... Well, that was mine. Uh, all, yeah, maybe you're impressed. Maybe not. But I think it's a good direction to go, because uh, it is difficult when you hear something, and sometimes our audio feed doesn't come in as well, but sometimes when you hear something, your mind's on one thing or one direction, and the person may be going another direction, and it's easy to miss... Read it. I know I've sat in classes of different kinds myself, both in school and church, and realized that the, the teacher did not understand the question was being asked properly. And that probably that possibly happened, happens to me. But he was asking, if I remember correctly, <clears throat> about the, the folks in Detroit, because he used to live there, who had lost their jobs, their jobs had been taken overseas. Are they iron workers? Iron workers in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. I forgot exactly the context. But you know, what would I say to them? Now, I went more of a generic direction about how an employee should relate to an employer, serving to a master, as it were. And Mike, I think that's that's the answer from the scripture. That is the that's what I can for sure tell them from the scriptures. That's right. One way or the other. Some of the other global economics things are not direct. And I guess we got off the air and Jerry said, well, I think he was asking about what, is there any Bible prophecy that relates to the current situation? Or can we predict coming, anything? Yeah, something coming in the future. Right, or something we can predict from the Bible that would help these people to have hope for the future because God made a prophecy about the United States economic situation and so forth. And I, and I don't believe that's the case. I don't, I, well, I don't know if we mentioned... You, you, brought, you kind of angled this way yeah, during yeah. the answer. You were saying there's nothing... In the Bible, that's going to speak to this. The Bible, I think I mentioned. I said, well, you know, the United States is not ancient Israel, to which right. these prophecies were given. We're we're not the specific people that are mentioned by Jesus in some of his prophecies about the destruction of Jerusalem and so forth. Uh, I don't think there's anything in the prophecies about the end of the world that relates to the Pennsylvania auto workers. So I really can't give you any Bible direction about that. I, if you want to discuss that as far as whether we can look at the prophecies God made to Israel and extrapolate them all to the United States, you know, this has become a popular thing to do in my lifetime. I remember as a boy listening on my little scratchy AM radio at night, I would listen to all these stations, but because you, you know, radio waves, AM waves bounce off the atmosphere or whatever, I would listen to all these stations and you'd hear an evening time. Worldwide Church of God, I think it was, by Herbert W. Armstrong. Oh, yes. Yeah. And he was teaching about how that it's called Anglo-Israelism, that Great Britain and the United States were the modern descendants of the Israelites, and therefore all the prophecies that God made to Israel is going to be fulfilled in England and the United States, or Anglo-Israelism, and so forth. And he had, right. you'd, you'd have thought by the number of radio shows he had on, he was, it was a popular movement, but it never was. Well, even, Mike, when you and I were young men, we were talking about how Lindsay's late great Planet Earth, that book. Yes, written in the late 60s. It's one of the most popular books ever written by a number of copies sold, by the way. And that was about, that's what got, that's what really kicked off in the modern, really modern, modern era, 
this notion of dispensational premillennialism, which is what many, many Protestant churches succumb to. What you hear and see on the radio and TV when you hear about Christian, well, the subject is called eschatology. I'll use one of those big words. Eschatology is the study of last things. Eschatos right. in Greek meaning last. So eschatology, the study of last things. So eschatology is a big uh, part of a, of a Christian education, as it were, or a Bible study. And so the popular way to look at that today is that God made all these predictions in the, in the Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Zechariah, that are being fulfilled today, or we can look to see, are they being fulfilled today? And that Jesus added to those prophecies in places like Luke 21 and Matthew 24, or even the book of Revelation, that all those are about the United States. So what people do, Gary, in my estimation, you, I'm sure you agree with this, is they will read a Bible verse written to Israel or Judah, and immediately, instead of keeping it there, they immediately extrapolate, in their mind, they extrapolate the United States, 2020, and they read that prophecy as if it's being written about something happening today. So they go through these passages of Scripture, and they find anything that might relate to a plague. Somebody texted us this morning, one of our regular listeners, texted me this morning on the way over here and said, well, maybe we can talk about the ten plagues today <clears throat> and the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And, and I've got some material on that, but I really think he was getting at, because, and at first I didn't catch it, but I think he was talking about the coronavirus scare. People are very upset about that. This coronavirus scare being the uh, thing that people want to talk about, you know. And um, I don't know. It, it's uh, as if there is a Bible prophecy that relates to the coronavirus. And I'm sure, I haven't listened to the radio and the TV much the last couple of weeks. I'm sure that some of these preachers on the radio and TV are out quoting the prophets. God said he would judge the nations. I mean by that, they, they don't tell you, they don't clarify and say he may have brought plagues and pestilence upon the Jews or even upon the Egyptians, but they want you to think when they read the passage that he's talking about the United States or China or somewhere when you read that passage. It's our contention, and I believe we can maintain this contention successfully in a discussion, that he was not talking about the United States. He was talking about ancient Israel, ancient Egypt, Babylon, other other passages, other ancient nations. Now, does, op, does God operate with the same principle today? Yeah, yes, he does. But I am completely unable, ethically, and I think uh, intellectually, to say that yes, this coronavirus is a fulfillment of this particular passage, and applying the passage written to Israel to the United States today, it would be unethical and unscriptural for me to do that. Now, can I tell you that God sometimes judges nations and people and individuals uh, by, by allowing them to suffer? Yes, and then he judges how they react to that. That's a Bible principle, I think, that we can maintain. Well, that's one but, of the but things. For me to say this coronavirus is a fulfillment of the Bible prophecy would be irresponsible and un, unbiblical. Well, as applied to the individuals, we could say Job is an example of that. We look at some of the things. What was what was God's purpose for Job? And I think there were maybe several purposes. 
one of the purposes for Job was for us to learn something as well as maybe exactly. Job to learn something. Um, one of the things that we miss, I think, Mike, in talking about Bible prophecy is when we think about, I don't know, there was some woman back in the 60s that was doing prophecies. I forget what her name was. Uh, Jean Dixon. Jean Dixon. Is that the one you're thinking yeah, of? Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking about. And she would give some specific thing, and maybe a few of them actually came close, but Bible prophecy in general is not to the degree of detail that we would call exactly what's going to happen before it happens. When we read Bible prophecy, we we need to understand that God intended that to be something that was recognizable when it came, not a detailed prediction of the future. And I think you would probably agree with that, Mitch. Yes. Uh, it, most likely it was there to let you see after the fact what happened and that you could, could verify that the person who said this was speaking the truth. truth. Right. Or that the prophet was talking, was speaking from God. And, and one of the other things that happened in some of this, and I'm going to point to Luke uh, 21 and verse 32, in which Jesus is again talking to them. And this is pretty well received by most serious biblical scholars. And he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem here. He says, uh, Which sure, passage you get? Luke 21? Luke 21. I'm going to read verse 32. Okay. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things stay all, all things take place. Now, what does that really mean? Well, they say, well, this generation will see it. The one that, you know, and they're talking about us. He wasn't talking to us. He was talking about the generation that was standing there at that time listening to them, which gives you about a 40-year time span for all those things to take place, if I understand the way Scripture's working here. Uh, he says in another place in Luke, I think it's Luke nine twenty-seven, talking about the kingdom, he says, but, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. You know, he was talking to those people standing there, listening to him right here. They wouldn't taste death until... So we've got some old people. So if if it's future events to us, then there's some mighty old people around here somewhere. These details are part of Bible interpretation that I think are so often overlooked. Uh, And maybe I'm going off on a tangent from where you were going, Mike, but these kind of details are the things that we need to be looking at in, in Bible interpretation, or what we call hermeneutics, reading out of the scriptures. Well, <clears throat> John just texted in, but maybe they're thinking of the plagues in the book of Revelation, not just Old Testament plagues. Well, of course, the, the images used in the book of Revelation are, are, are Old Testament images, right. and that referring back to these same kinds of things in the Old Testament. But for example, in Revelation 9.18, uh, it says, by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire, by the smoke, and by the brimstone, which came out of the mouth of these beasts. And then, uh, and then verse 20, but the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons or idols of gold or silver or brass or stone or wood, and can even see their hear. So here's a couple of things. There's plagues coming on the earth, and they'll kill a third of humanity. Now, you and I believe, and I think we can sustain this, again, we don't have to get into a long discussion right at the moment about this, but the book of Revelation is a symbolic book. It isn't meant to, it isn't meant to tell us some literal thing that's going to happen. Otherwise, 
the book becomes nonsense. Is Jesus a lamb or is he a lion? Is he dead or is he alive? Is he slain? The, the 144,000 in the book, that the Jehovah's Witnesses was, oh, there's only 144,000 people that will die. They were Jewish male virgins of the tribe of Judah, of the 12 tribes. Jewish male virgins is who is being discussed. They, Those are symbols. Yes. Not literal Jewish male virgins. That's all the 144,000. We're saying that the only people that can be saved, according to Jehovah's Witnesses, are, are Jewish male virgins. It makes no sense. That's not what the book is about. Now then, when you look at this then, so we got a couple people dead in the United States, a couple thousand more in China perhaps, maybe some somewhere else. we got a long way to go to get to a third of humanity. Okay, what are there, seven or eight billion people? Oh, yeah. So what's a third of seven billion? How many million least, is that? At least four from the figures that I've heard. At least four billion. Well, that's... That's uh, hundreds of thousands of people, mi- hundreds, millions, literally it millions of people. people, 300 million people have to die before this plague is biblical. And are people going to repent? Is this the meaning of this? See, this is, this is how, how you have, but, but can a preacher on TV or on your radio, can he use this passage to scare you and to intimidate you in a certain way? And, uh, and you know, wax elephants, as they say, with apocalyptic language, that this is somehow the plague of the book of Revelation. Well, let me ask you something else, though, lest you think I sound too skeptical of this idea. Uh, how many plagues, you suppose, down through history would this verse have been a fulfillment of if we take it that way? If we make it a, a literal plague that kills one-third of all humans? These modern, quote-unquote, pandemics, Gary, I saw some statistics on pandemics over the last few hundred years. Every, every one of them has an almost a continual de- decrease in the line of fatalities over the others, going back to the 11 or 1200s, you see. So we're not getting bigger and bigger plagues, number one, getting smaller, and secondly, which one is the fulfillment of this of this passage? If God literally meant to look for a plague to come on the earth, which one of these plagues is it? He doesn't give you any clue to that, really. Very, very little clue. It isn't subject to a lot of misunderstanding. He's speaking in symbols to these people of that time. And the book has a meaning for people of that time that we can learn from. But the learning that we do from it, the lesson to us is not in looking for some plague or virus to spread around the world. It's, oh, yeah, see, God fulfilled that. Because that could have been fulfilled a thousand years ago, if that's all we're looking for. But to see how God judges nations and people, and what he, the main part of the book is they can raise their hand, hand against and sword against Christ, but they will be defeated. That's the main part of the book. Yeah, let's, let's just go back to that passage you were talking about in Revelation. I think it begins at about chapter 5, verse 6. There's, there's, some, in, yeah, there's yeah. some in chapter 6, too. I just looked at the word plagues. Uh, and, I, and I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And when he came and looked, took the scroll out of his right hand, 
of him who sat on the throne. Now, picture that for a minute. Here's a lamb uh, who looks like he's been slain, and it has seven eyes. Isn't that kind of odd, Mike? And seven horns. How many lambs do we know that have seven eyes and seven horns? And not only that, but this lamb who appeared to be slain now came and took a scroll, scroll out of the right hand of God. Right. Now, if that's not a picture of, of symbology, I don't know what yeah. is. Yeah, symbolism. That's correct. And that's what I'm saying. The, those cannot be interpreted literally. Right. Because they would be nonsense if interpreted right. literally. But they're not nonsense if they're interpreted figuratively or symbolically. They make sense, and you can see the meaning of them, you see. Uh, and that's what somebody says, well, they, you know, 50% of Europe died during the Black Plague. Yes, they did. And, and the numbers around other parts of the world were really high, too. 1918 flu killed hundreds, killed, killed millions of people. And so... But was that a third of the population of the entire no, Earth? No, none of those was. And the fact is that, you know... The, that John the Texter says, well, be sure people thought those were the, you know, the fulfillment of some Bible prophecy. Maybe so. But were they in actuality? Were they, were they in actuality? No, what they were illustrate. And, but, but could people, did they cause people, some people to turn back to God? Probably. Did they cause other people to turn away from God? Probably. Because well, people tend to turn to God in hard times. And then some people get angry and turn away, too. There's always that percentage. You're right, they do. So, yes, there's always these self-corrections. And would it surprise me that in the next 20 years, there are a lot of bad things that happen in the United States or around the world where there are corrupt people and corrupt governments uh, in China other places or Iran, that some terrible thing happens to them to try, for God to try to wake them up and make them see what's really important in life? That wouldn't surprise me a bit. Now, that would be a fulfillment in a general way of the principle. But not of a specific prophecy. Not of a specific prophecy. And the United States is not Israel. Stop applying these passages written to Israel or even to the early church to the United States. The United States is a secular country that may have been founded on biblical principles, but it's not a country that's spoken about in Bible prophecy. Are there principles to learn for the United States? Yes. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. That passage applies to the United States, doesn't it? In the, from the Proverbs? Of course. It applies to every country, of course. Right. And, and since we live here, you know, this is what it applies to us. So this is the problem. So I, I, want, I don't know whether I misunderstood Jerry's remarks or not, but I do want to clarify for him and, and any of the other listeners, not to be overly... Um, Paul made this point real clear when he taught about the, the second coming in the book of 1 Thessalonians. He made it real clear in the book of 2 Thessalonians that they had misunderstood him and that, that he, the end of the world wasn't going to happen right then. And that in any event, what they could do is watch and pray rather than you know, freak out and go buy a, a bunch of MREs and hide away and store away in the basement so they could avoid God's judgment. So, I'm going off on different tangents here, but the, the point is, that's the proper way to interpret Bible prophecy. And it's, to me, Gary, it's irresponsible and unscriptural for these preachers to use prophecy that way and the Word of God that way. Well, to gather up disciples for themselves by scaring them and, and apocalyptically presenting this as if it's the end of the world 
and you can go and watch on the 700 Club and PTL and all those kind of shows, and you can go back. If you had the tapes go back 25 years, you'd say they've been doing this every time something bad happens. They've been doing the same thing and acting like it's the same fulfillment of the same prophecy. Well, my, it's my, irresponsible. Yeah, my point is this, Mike, in, in, in many ways, and I don't know if you agree with this, but, but basically to take these prophecies and apply them to any or everything takes away from the value of what they were really meant to be pointing to. Yeah. Jesus and, and, and God through his apostles and prophets, if, if he gives you a prophecy that applies to everything, almost becomes meaningless. If something means everything, what does it mean They're at meaningful. all? And if, and if you can go down, I've been, well, I'm 67 year old, years and older than me, Gary, go down to just our lifetime, the number of prophecies that were supposed to be fulfilled by the different events, the same verses in our lifetime by these preachers. But so many people have such a short memory about things like that, like the Antichrist. Oh, he's here, he's there, he's Hugo, Hugo Chavez, or he's Bernie Sanders, or he's Ronald Reagan, or something. But the, the memory's short. You go, you go back to, to the year 1000 AD, the year 500 AD, and the Antichrist, they had people they thought were the Antichrist then, all the way through the 1800s. Napoleon was the Antichrist. Uh, Kaiser Wilhelm was the Antichrist. Adolf Hitler was the Antichrist. And you've got everybody was so sure of all those things. But once again, when you read the passage, when you read the scriptures about the Antichrist, without all the suppositions and exaggerations that people make about him, you see that it was more of an idea that was opposed to Christ coming in the flesh. And that's why John says that there are many Antichrists and they're already here in John's day. Yeah, he wasn't predicting one guy before the end of the world. I like to. Get your pencils and paper out, folks, because I want you to write these passages down. 1 John 2.18, 1 John 2.22, 1 John 4 and 3, and 2 John 7. Okay, those are the only four verses that mention the Antichrist. He is mentioned nowhere in the book of Revelation. Well, and then they connect it up with the man of sin in, in 2 Thessalonians, and there's no particular justification for that. Not either. Yeah. So because how many times have I heard about the Antichrist in the book of Revelation? That there is no scripture that mentions the Antichrist in the book of Revelation. Those four passages that I mentioned are the only places in the New King James Version that well, that's, mentions that's the Antichrist. All that's all there are, period. And when you read what they say, you don't come away with what Hal Lindsey and all the others say that you're coming away with, or whatever modern premillennialist is out there now. Uh, he's not as popular as he once was. But but the point of all of this is not to say that God is not working in the world today. God, it, Jesus is ruling the nations with a rod of iron. That, that By the way, that's interesting. See, I believe that's a present day verse that Jesus is going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. I think that's happening now. That's not something to wait for during or after the so-called millennium it's going to happen. He's now ruling these nations with a lot of fire. He wants them to repent. He will judge the people for not... Governments are under God's judgment because of Romans 13, what he expects governments to do for the people and how he expects them to act. And when they don't execute justice, he will judge them. When the people in different countries will not be just and fair and, and
allow his word to be preached, he will judge them. I have no doubt about that. He rules the world. He rules the world. But for me to say this event is a fulfillment of this prophecy in the book of Revelation in the year 2020 is simply irresponsible Mm -hmm. and very shoddy Bible interpretation. And I don't want people to be misled by that kind of Bible teaching and so forth. So, once again, the question was, do we have any comfort for the steel workers and iron workers? Well, only in this, that... God will, over time, correct injustice in the world through the use of both governments and natural disasters and other people, and mostly he will correct injustice through the spread of the kingdom of his Son, Jesus Christ, and the changing of people's hearts. And there is coming a day in which he will judge the world by his word, by his word and he will judge those employers and nations and countries and judges and policemen, whoever it may be, who have dishonored him by injustice and thievery, bribery, corruption. He'll judge all of those people for failing to do his will. And um, don't you don't want to be on that side of God's judgment. And interestingly enough here, he says that judgment's going to begin with the house of God. So he's, he's going to go after the people that Christians are claiming to be Christians first. Well, see, Mike, I think that's one of the reasons why what I call immorality has gone, seemingly gone wild in our day and time, is there is no attention paid to that ultimate judgment anymore. Yeah, yes, no, no you know, we, we get the feeling that if we're, not, if we're not caught immediately by the authorities, then we've escaped judgment. And that's, that's, a, that's a very sad Ecclesiastes thought. Ecclesiastes 8.11, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, the heart of man is set within him to do evil. Yes. God, and yet on the other side of the coin, the Bible says God is very long-suffering and gracious, not willing that any should perish. So God gives us time. He gives some, you the time. Some, some people you. take that time as a reason to continue to disobey rather than a time to repent, right? Or a, time, a time to learn of to what learn you should, repent. should be doing. That's right. Well, we probably beat that horse to death. Let me give you the numbers. We can go on a little bit more. Let me give you the numbers to call in the show. We are just Christians here in Fort St. Lucie. 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the call-in number. We'd love to talk with you, whether you agree or disagree about these things. I have a tendency to get to wax elephants and get all worked up over stuff here. I don't. I really don't want that to... to uh, discourage people from calling in. We're not going to treat you poorly when you call in. Uh, we really have no intention of doing so. And we'd like to hear your viewpoint. Maybe you can show us where we're mistaken here or point us to a scripture that would help us or something like that or some other event in your life that would shed some light on this subject. We'd love to hear from you or any other subject, of course. We very often have material sitting here to prevent that somebody will call in and we just change course. That's fine with us. And then let me give you the text numbers again. Mike's text number is 772-260-6120. That's me, the loudmouth. And then Gary is 772-260-6220. The calm, reserved engineer. Right? As opposed to the, the volatile loudmouth. We've got, the, we've got all the bases covered here, right, Gary? Anyway. We try. We try. All right. And uh, in any event... Uh, no, 
No, I have to tell you, this kind of misuse of prophecy and the way the way it affects ordinary people, because I get to deal with them in a different way as a minister when they're frightened or upset or they're they're being put out of mind because of these kind of prophecies, it upsets me. And then when I see the Word of God being so badly handled by men and women who should know better, it really does upset me. I don't blame the average person, for example, who hasn't really deeply studied these things and doesn't know even that language is a for for having difficulty with some of the apocalyptic literature in the Bible. That's understandable. But I do have a problem with the people that are standing up as teachers. James 3.1, Be not many of you teachers, for you shall receive the greater condemnation. Isn't that what it says? Yes. It's a scary verse when you're going to cut on the TV and radio and other places and teach people. You're under a greater condemnation by God or judgment by God because you're, you're proposed to be a teacher. That goes for me, and that goes for Gary, and that's why we invite you to, to call in sometimes and correct us or give us another viewpoint. We don't want to be misleading you either, but on the other hand, we're going to teach what we believe to be true about things. So anyway, that's what that's what We Are Just Christians is about. Well, Gary, do you have some other um, where you want to go with this, or you want me to change the subject here? Uh, we can change this. I want to read one passage here if I can find it, though. Concerning the, the detail that we need to pay to Scripture. Okay, we do have a caller, though, Gary. Just oh, go, go, ahead, ahead. go yeah. ahead with the caller. All right, Jerry, are you there? How are you, Jerry? What's on your mind today? Oh, yeah, uh-huh. You know, I have, to admit, I have to admit, Jerry, I know very little about Howard Hughes. That's to my shame, I suppose. I know a little bit about him. But in my reading, I've never heard him connected to the Mormons or Latter-day Saints. I'm not saying he wasn't. I'm only saying that today I can't say that I recall that at all. Do you have any memory of that, Gary? Well, I think it was generally considered the case that they were the ones who actually took care of him in the last, in the last few you know, short years of his life. But I have no documentation of that. I can't find that written anywhere, but I think I've, I've read that that was... Well, why was that? Was he, he wasn't considered a Mormon, was he? Uh, no, he wasn't, and, and I don't have the reason for it, but I had read some articles that implied that, and it seemed to uh, be interpreted that that was a generally accepted uh, view, but I have no... Doc, I, I want to tell you, Mike, I have no documentation of that. I don't have any... I don't think anybody had any documentation of that. Well, he was extremely secretive. Yeah, he was extreme, extremely secretive. Well, I will tell you this, Gary, uh, Jerry. If you Google Howard Hughes cared for by Mormons, you will see a whole list of videos and other, uh, the Mormon Chronicles, Howard Hughes, LDS Connection Evidence, Howard Hughes Mormon Will, I mean, you see all this stuff on the internet, and you know, they, it ha if it's on the internet, it has to be true. So <laughs> you have to look at that. Um, so, in other words, there, there apparently is, and you know, I didn't know this, uh, but there apparently is a um, uh, a connection between Howard Hughes and the Mormon Church, uh, on some way or another. Oh wow. Well. The this, this article says, 
that it looked like when he died in 1976 that the LDS church was going to get $156 million because he left one-sixteenth of his estate to them and so forth, and another sixteenth to a man named Melvin Dun Dump Dumar. But it was the claim was ultimately ultimately rejected by a court in Nevada, and so forth. So I'll have to read on this, but uh, that is an odd that's an odd thing that I did not know about. So we'll have to check into that. Thanks for calling today, Jerry. We pre now. By the way, uh, well, never mind. I was going to ask you whether I was whether Gary was correct in assuming your question last week was directed about prophecy and not about the direction I went. Do you remember the call? I think Gary, Jerry must be yeah, must have hung up. Okay, sorry about that. Well, in any event, thank you for calling, Jerry. We really appreciate it. Hope that uh, if any else can shed any information on this or any other topic, bring up something new, we'd be glad to do that. Gary, you were beginning to say something when yeah, you had a call. Going back to the fact, Mac, we, Mike, we were talking about how carefully we have to tra uh, treat the Scripture and how some, in some cases, in a lot of detail, we need to look at them. Now, we need to be careful not to get wrapped around the axle with too much detail, particularly when it comes to apocalyptic writing. Apocalyptic writing is not intended to have it's super broad, it's detailed... It's broad-brush It's broad-brush right, stuff, yes, okay? Uh -huh. But occasionally, Jesus did do something that I think was important in our understanding of how we should look at Scripture in many ways. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, and they came to him with a problem about a, a woman who was married to her husband, and then he died, and he married her brothers, and she married her brothers, or his brothers, and so on, until they all died. And so they wanted to know in the resurrection, because they didn't believe there was one, whose wife would she be? So Jesus is really answering the question about the resurrection, about people living after death. And he says to them, you are mistaken not knowing the scripture nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. His whole argument pinned around the tense of the verb. Right. So when Jesus used the present tense, I, when God used the present tense, tense, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Which was hundreds of years he after said, Abraham, meant, Isaac, and Jacob right, were dead. Right, and that meant that they still were presently alive because God's not the God of the dead. Of the dead, they would pass the living. Right. So that he, everything hangs on the tense of a verb. So we, we have on In Galatians 3, it's the plurality of the word seed or seeds. Seeds. Okay. Same, same kind of thing. We have to look carefully a lot of times at the scripture. And we have to be of an understanding that they need to harmonize with other scripture. Right. We can't allow... Well, take one thing, for instance, that I had been preparing a lesson on but haven't completed it, and that's this idea of being saved upon the moment of believing. Right. Faith-only salvation. The minute you acknowledge, basically, Jesus uh, mentally or in mental acknowledgement of him as being uh, Jesus, the Son of God, and having raised from the dead, you're saved. And yet there are other passages, such in James 2, that says, basically, faith alone is dead. Right. 
So we have to reconcile those passages, and we have to understand what they mean. You're the subject here, but you reminded me of a quotation I read a while back. I ran across it again this morning and looking for some stuff in my computer by a man named Frederick uh, Buchner. I think he's a theologian of some sort. Now listen to this quote here. You've got, you've got to read this stuff carefully and analyze what's being said because it goes to your subject about saying saved by faith Thank alone God. or by grace alone. He says, quote, a crucial eccentricity of the Christian faith is the assertion that people are saved by grace. Now listen to this. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. He takes the sentence, repeats it three times, emphasizes there's nothing you have to do because God does it all, right? That's what he's saying. There's nothing you have to do because it's grace and not by commandment. And there's nothing you have to do because it's of faith and not of works. That's his meaning. Now listen to the next sentence. That sounds like a nice little sermon for some people. However, he adds, he adds this, quote, There's only one catch. Like any other gift, the gift of grace can be yours only if you'll reach out and take it. Now I read that and say, only if you will reach out and take it. So is there something you have to do about grace? Well, he just said there is, but he's saying there's not because so he can sound real religious and theological and meet the, the standard Protestant idea of save, salvation by faith alone. But then he says, like any other gift, there's a catch. You have to reach out and take it. And he, he's going to have to, he's going to emphasize, you have to reach out and take it. <clears throat> How about emphasize the word you just like he did on the other sentences. This is the kind of stuff that bugs me. I have to tell you, especially early in the morning like this, it kind of bugs me that, that people now are so blind to what they're actually saying. And so at a point when I meet very smart people who teach a lot of other people about this stuff and get on the TV and radio and other places and pulpits of hundreds of people and say this kind of thing, it bugs me that they aren't, can't see that that is disingenuous. That is a, that is almost a falsehood to present that you don't have to do anything, don't have to do anything, and so forth, and then turn around and say, because it's all by grace, try to say, yeah, I bet you got to reach out and take it. Well, who does that? Now, of course, if you're a true Calvinist, you'll say, well, God even, God even does, does that. the reaching out and taking it, but that can't. That can't be the meaning of any of those other scriptures. Well, it's just an it's at, at, some, at some point in time. And that's what we're saying about this idea of being saved by faith only or by grace only. Exactly. There's too many scriptures for us to get stuck in that philosophical system of Calvinism and salvation by faith only. Too many scriptures indicate that man has a role to play in his own salvation, even if I just admit this, I have to reach out and take the gift that God made. Am I saying that man can save himself? Absolutely not. That's a, that's a, a uh, I, I reject that statement when I say that there are things man has to do. I reject the idea that man saves himself. But I also reject the idea that God saves man with no input from man. The Bible's too clear that man has a role to play in his own salvation. Exactly. And, 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 and we need to, we're just going to stand on that we, truth. We need to harmonize these things when we look at them to understand fully what is meant by those passages that talk about us being saved by Christ. Have you ever heard that passage, that, that, that quote before? Let's listen to it. 
turn around and say, well, yeah, but there's one catch. Well, of course well, there's I've, one I've catch. Heard the Obe- obedience well, is, a ca- is a catch, well, isn't he it? He is the author of salvation to all who obey him. Obey him. You know, like I've said many times in this show, you can't obey a promise. Right. Okay? You can't obey something that somebody else does. You can only obey a command given to you. That's what you can obey. And so when judgment comes upon those who, when Jesus comes, in First in, in Thessalonians 1, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who what? Do not obey the gospel of Christ. Then there's something that man has to do. We need to figure it out. And it's more than just belief because he's many too many passages separate the belief from the action and tell you what to do about that. Well, Roman, the question Roman, is, what is it that you have to do? Romans 2, 6, God who will render to each according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. I mean, what's what's the governing factor here? Well, the example that I, I, I said to someone, I think it was in a class, if I get a Christmas gift, somebody gives me a Christmas gift, what happens? I often have to reach out and take it. I often have to carry it home. I have to unwrap it. A lot of times I have to read the instructions. I have to assemble it. And I have to do all of those things to get the benefit of the gift. Well, yeah, we had a, used to have a raffle at Christmas, this one club, our poultry club I was a member of, that's what I called me. Everybody would bring a gift, a wrapped gift, and then we would take numbers, you know, and go around. It was fun to do that. Of course, some of the stuff was just gag gifts. After it was all over, I said I wanted to clean up. So a lot of those were still sitting on the table. People had gotten the gift, unwrapped it, and walked away and went home on purpose because they didn't want what they got. Did they receive a gift? No. They did not because they didn't take it. You see. Now, now here's another passage. Goes along with, this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says that uh, after, he says, after he says this, we walk by faith and not by sight. Well, you hear that quote? Oh, we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, listen to what else he says, though. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather than to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we, we make it our aim. We, who's the we here? This is Christ. We, Christians, make it our aim, or maybe we's the majestic Paul speaking in terms of we, make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body. That's not belief. That's not grace alone. That's not faith alone. We're going to receive the things done in the body on the judgment day according to what he has done, whether good or bad. He's speaking of actions here, not thoughts, just per se, and not intentions, not faith per se. We walk by faith. How do we walk by faith? By doing the by things doing that the Christ things says, says to do. That's how you walk by faith and not by sight. Walking is something you so, do. So we're going to stand on that principle, at least till uh, somebody can take, uh, can do a better job than they've done for the last 500 years of trying to convince us that God does everything in salvation to man, in spite of what you're hearing in your churches this morning. There are way, way, way too many passages from Genesis to Revelation and just from Matthew to Revelation indicates that man
man has to take the gift of God that God has given and receive it, and then he has to obey God when he receives this gift. If he doesn't, he's going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ for failing to do this. And he's going to be judged by the word that was spoken, yes. which gives us the things to do. I will have to say this. I think there is one thing that we get upon middle acknowledgement. And I would, I would, I would ask you to turn to John chapter 1 and begin verse 11. He says, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but as many as received them, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. The minute you acknowledge God for who he is and what he is, he gives you the right to become a child of God. (laughs) Yes, and that's a big difference from just becoming a child of God at that point. Uh, and then everything else being something that uh, comes by na- just by nature or by God just doing everything for you. Now, the truth is, uh, God is active in the world today still, Gary. He does work with people who are uh, seeking him. He's seeking everybody to follow him. So he's trying to influence people. I used the example of Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul. When he was confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why do you kick against the goads of the pricks? God had been trying to put have Paul stumble over things for a long time so he would come to a state of belief. And he didn't on his own. Now in this case, God performed a miracle. Christ did. It appeared before him. We're not going to be converted like that. You see. But a lot of us are being goaded by things that happen to us in life by God. He's not inactive in this. Not only is he put, Jesus says, for example, too, on the other side, he says, when I, I, when I am lifted up, what will happen? I will draw all men into myself. People who can see the cross of Christ, and if, if that doesn't draw them, then nothing's going to draw them. Okay. So yes, God does things to draw us to him. And we're going to have to respond one way or the other. He's wanting us to respond. He helps us to respond. But do we respond? No, we don't often always respond. And so therefore, some people will be lost. In spite of the fact that Second Peter uh, says that God is not willing that any should perish, Second Peter 3, but that all should come to repentance. He's not willing, he doesn't will that they perish, but guess what will happen? They will perish if they don't obey the gospel of Christ. He says so very plainly. So some of it is up to God. He wants us to be saved. He's done everything he can to save us. He is active in the past. He's active in the present. But in the end, we have to do something about that. Because some of it is up to us, too. Exactly. And I want our our listeners to understand that clearly. Right. right. That word right, he gave the right to become children of God. In the Greek, I looked up the definition of that. That is a right of access that is the power to do something. So you could rightly translate it, he gave them the power to become children of God, but he didn't make them children of God at that moment. Right. That's my point. Is that word exousia? Is that the word I for think power? that's it, yes. That? Yes, yes. It's, it's the right of access. In other words, you can take it or you can leave it. Which is, which you is, have free will. You have, you have free power. Will. Another bone of contention. Right. That man, that humans don't have free will. And, and that came up in our, dis, our discussion about text this morning with a fellow about 
whether God was going to, whether man had free will to, you know, obey God and so forth. And I talked about that or whether God was hardening Pharaoh's hearts against him. And these kind of plagues, as you see, they hardened some people's hearts against God and some people they softened. These natural disasters and other things like that, other diseases, they, they softened and they hardened depending on the nature of the of the person who is uh, doing the discussion. Well, I think it, this kind of bears on this problem, this book of symbols. We've talked about Revelation. Right at the end of Revelation in chapter 22, about verse 10, he says, uh, and he said to me, do not seal the words of this prophecy of this book for the time is at hand. But look at the next verse. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. It's up to you. Things are going to work out, and you're going to prove which one you are. We've got about four minutes left or so. We still have have plenty of time for a call. If you want to reach us at We Are Just Christians, give us a call today, 772-340-1590, 772-340-1590. We've got time for another call. If you want to give give us a shout this morning, we'd be glad to hear from you. If we can't get the whole thing discussed, we'll pick it up again next Lord's Day, uh, the Lord willing, of course. But there's a lot of things, Mike, to studying the Word of God that that I think we would benefit if we would take an organized and, and a much more logical approach to it than the emotional approach that a lot of people have taken. It's one of the things that I've been trying to do. Uh, I'm no longer able to teach the Wednesday night class for a little while because of uh, heart problems, but been working on basically a more logical approach to that and if you're interested in it come come talk with us and we can we can help you with that and that's that's the right direction to go but i do have to warn you gary do you realize what a small percentage of people you're going to reach with a logical approach well i understand but then (laughs) then again when you look at the overall percentage yes when you look at the overall percentage what how small is the percentage that the gospel really affects Let me give you an example of this kind of thing about logical. And I, Gary and I talked about this back and forth. I'm, I'm a, I think I'm logical, but I'm more of an emotional person than Gary is, I imagine. Well, I don't know about that. Well, Gary's is under the surface. Mine's right out there in, in my eyeballs. But here's the thing. I, had a, I have a good friend. He's older than me, and I with, was with him this weekend. His wife died three years ago next month, and He's doing good, but he's been struggling. And he showed me this little book he has. He's a religious man. Of It's just a book of different scriptures somebody compiled to help you encourage you along the way. And he said, well, it's in my, these things are in my Bible, you know, and I can read them. I know the verses, but he said it's nice to have it all in just one place. And he's reading these things. And when he gets discouraged in the morning and his wife isn't there and other times of the day and he prays, he reads these things. And uh, so uh, it's... That, is that an emotional thing, or is there any kind of rationality to that? Well, I think it's both. He's emotionally needing some encouragement, but he's using his mind to read the Word of God, understand what God says about his condition or the situation, and then change his, both his intellect and his emotions by what he reads. And he says it really helps me to, to read these scriptures, meditate on them, and then pray about it. Well, I would say there's, so there's both emotion and rationality are there. I would say, and I'm going to say this quickly. You're teaching on uh, today the Lord's Supper, and I would say right. that's a combination of those two things as well. 
it's emotional in that we remember what the Lord has done for us, but it's logical in that it's a remembrance weekly. We force ourselves logically to remember that well, those events. I'm, I'm presenting the material that rather logically from in dissecting what the scriptures say so Something that said. it will properly move your emotions to do the right thing. And I would say that that's right a perfect thing. example of both of those things working yes. in the scripture. So there's not one or another of those things uh, that we're dealing with. But certainly, yeah. uh, apocalyptic <clears throat> language takes more logic than people yes, give it. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. You have to think through it, and then, then it will move you emotionally. But don't get the cart before the horse. We've got about a minute left, Gary. Let me, let me uh, tell the people here as we close up a, a little bit about the church. The Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard that brings you this show, of which Gary and I are members, uh, is on, it meets at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, of course, that was 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard. Here and we meet at 10, 11, and 6 p.m. today. We'd love to have you come visit us. Take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com. So until next week, we really appreciate you listening, and, and may God bless you this week as you seek to do His will. Oh, fill my cup, let it overflow. Oh, fill my cup.